0: Welcome everybody to opening day of One Big Story. This journey we're going to be taking together as a church through the pages of the Bible. And so here's what we're going to do over the next nine weeks, literally between now and Easter Sunday. We're going to spend some time connecting the dots of Scripture. From, From the opening pages of the creation story all the way Through to the promise of eternity in the book of Revelation, we're going to see that the Bible is not simply a collection of stories about God, but that it is one big story of God, the story of God's passionate pursuit of prodigal people, just like me and just like you. And we're also going to discover that the story didn't end when the last words of the last page of the Bible were written down, we're going to see that God is continuing to write that story across the pages of history and even across the pages of our individual lives. Now, you may be asking, why are we doing this? Why are we spending nine weeks? That's a long time to be focused on one topic. Here's why, really twofold reason. One It's just to help all of us get a clearer understanding of the Bible. Obviously, we have a great uh, demographic diversity here at Cedar Creek. we got people at all different stages in their spiritual journey back to God. And so maybe for those of you who are kind of new to the whole church and God and the Bible thing, you probably found yourself struggling to understand it. Maybe what you know from the Bible is limited to maybe some quotes you saw on posters or bumper stickers. Or maybe you know a few of the stories from the Bible about Moses and Let My Children Go. Or you know the Christmas story or the Easter story. But when you pick up to the Bible and try to read it, there are pieces of it that make sense. And there are some things you read, you're like, what is that? all about. That doesn't make any sense. And so this journey is going to kind of help you get that 30,000-foot view to understand the pig picture of the Bible. Now, for those of you who grew up in church, you know the Bible stories, you know the books of the Bible, you can say them in order. You not only know all the stories in the Bible, but you know the, the principles and lessons and morals that they teach. And you're like, well, I'm glad Pastor Philip's doing this for all the new people, all the seeker people, but, you know, it really doesn't have anything to do with me. But listen, you may know all the stories in the Bible, but do you really constantly look at the Bible as part of one big story, right? That, you know, Jesus doesn't just show up And redemption occur uh, in the New Testament. That redemption, the story of God's redemption, starts the moment that sin enters the world. It's all one big story. And the more you can look at it through that filter, with that understanding the more all the individual pieces of the Bible start to make more sense, not just in your knowledge base, but to see it through the lens of your life. So you're going to learn a lot about the Bible, and that's good, but that's not the most important reason we're doing that. The biggest reason we're doing this series is to help all of us find our place in God's story, to see how our individual life stories are actually a part of God's story. It's not just the people who got their names in the Bible. It's all of us are invited to be a part of God's story. Uh, let me ask the question. How many of you like to put together jigsaw puzzles? We got any jigsaw puzzlers in here? Yes. How many of you would rather be stuck in the eye with a sharp stick than to have to do, yeah, my people? Right? I can't think of not anything more boring and tedious than to try to figure out how random pieces of cardboard somehow fit together to recreate a picture or painting that somebody else made. So I'm not big on puzzles, but I must confess, I did participate in the completion of a full 5,000 piece jigsaw puzzle at one point in my life. It actually happened during one of our famous Lee family Christmas trips. The cabin that we were renting had a shelf full of board games and jigsaw puzzles. And for some reason, my older daughter, Emily, decided she was going to put that puzzle together kind of during our week in this cabin. So she cleared off a coffee table, she dumped all 5,000 pieces on it, and she started by herself just to put that puzzle together. And I thought, well, that's how she wants to spend vacation, more power to her, but not me. Good luck. And so, but I was shocked and surprised the next day, I actually noticed that somehow she had convinced a couple of her siblings to sit down and help her put that puzzle together. And I thought, how sweet is that? Look at my children working together in harmony. It's beautiful. But then I got a little closer and I heard them talking. And I realized they weren't cooperating. They were competing They had set up this kind of score, like one point for a regular puzzle piece, three points for an edge piece, and they were literally keeping score. And when I found out it was a competition, I said, I'm in, baby. If we're keeping score, if there are winners and losers, I want to be a part of it. And so I sat down and started trying to put the puzzle together, and I immediately learned right off the bat, the most important part of a jigsaw puzzle is the box the puzzle comes in. Because on the top of that box is the picture of what it's supposed to look like. And if you don't have that picture, it's impossible to know where that little piece fits in the big picture. But look, that's not just true for jigsaw puzzles. That's true in our lives, right? The more you understand the big picture, the more your life's picture, your life story begins to make sense. I love how the Apostle Paul Puts it in the New Testament book of Acts, Acts 17. Paul explains it this way. He says, The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. Stop right there. What is he saying? Paul's saying that God is not just this creator of the world who puts it all together and steps back and just watches it all unfold. He said he's the Lord of heaven and earth. He's engaged. He's involved. He's writing this story. He's moving and working in history and in our lives. And that's why he goes on to say, he, talking about God, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. And then notice the result. Paul says, because of that, now for in him, in God, we live And move and have our being. Your life is not an accident. You live where you live, in the time you live, in the place you live, surrounded by the people you're surrounded by, because it's part of a much bigger plan. And the things that happen to you, good and bad, the things that you go through, the things that don't happen to you that you thought you should, or the things you never saw coming, all of that stuff is not the result of random chance. It's part of this much bigger story that God is writing. And you, whoever you are, you have a place in that story. And that's what I want to focus on to kick this thing off. Before we jump into Genesis, before we jump into the the creation story, which we'll start next week, I want to lay some groundwork for just understanding How do you fit in the story? How do you connect your life story with God's one big story? And to help us do that, we're gonna look at an incident, an encounter that is recorded in the New Testament book of Acts. It's found in Acts chapter eight. So if you have a Bible or a Bible app, go ahead and turn and click there. You can go on the app or website. You can locate kind of notes for today's service. And by the way, over these next eight, eight weeks, I want to really encourage you, either bring a Bible or get your Bible app because I want you to fully engage. If we're going to walk through the Bible, it might help you to have one with you. But I chose this particular story, this particular encounter, really for two reasons. One, because one of the main guys in this story is an apostle by the name of Philip. And let's just be honest, who doesn't love a good story with a guy named Philip in it, Right? Now, actually, the reason I chose this particular story, because it's a great picture of two random guys, don't even know each other, and God begins, as he's weaving their stories, he weaves their two stories together, they come together, they connect with each other, and as a result of that, they are able to be a part of the much bigger story that God is writing. Let me just lay it out for you, Reader's Digest version. So this event takes place about three years after the resurrection of Jesus. And after Jesus was resurrected, after he returned, ascended to heaven, there were about 120 followers of Jesus. A small little group uh, in a city of Jerusalem of about 100,000. Right? But about 40 days later, on the day of Pentecost, uh, the Holy Spirit comes, those, those disciples take to the street, they preach the gospel, and about 3,000 people uh, give their lives to Jesus and become a part of this church now movement, this Jesus movement. And over the next few years, the growth of that movement is exponential maybe tens of thousands within the first year. The problem is that movement is only happening in and around Jerusalem, in Judea, right? Because that's where it all took place. Although Jesus had clearly told his followers before he returned to heaven that they were to go and share the good news with everyone, even to the ends of the age. And I'm sure those Christians were thinking, somebody ought to go. But I'm pretty comfortable right here in Judea. I kind of like it how I want. And so nobody went. But because God is writing the story, he allows persecution to break out of these early Christians. And they are forcibly now scattered to the ends of the age. And Philip, the hero of our story, he ends up in a region known as Samaria may have heard that before, the Good Samaritan, uh, the Samaritan woman at the well. Now Samaria is not geographically very far away from Jerusalem and Judea, but culturally it is dramatically different. Different set of religious beliefs, different culture, different understanding, different way of living. And so Philip, this Jew who's become a Christ follower, amongst all these Samaritans, and somehow he is able to share the good news of Jesus with the Samaritans and thousands come to faith. Thousands upon thousands. He's got a movement going in Samaria. He's planting this church. It becomes a mega church. It's growing. It's He's baptizing people till his arms hurt. Things are going, they are literally changing Samaria. God is moving and working. And then all of a sudden, God shows up and says, Philip, I need you to leave here, and I need you to go out in the middle of nowhere. This desert area where there aren't hardly any people. I need you to go and walk down this road. It's literally called the Desert Road. It's this road that runs from Gaza down to Jerusalem. And Philip, think about that, right? Philip's like, okay, I thought I was in your story right here. You know, it was moving, it was grooving. But because Philip is a man of faith, he obeys. And he ends up walking down this middle of this road, nobody, nowhere, thinking, Lord, what am I doing here? How does this fit? with some big story, some plan and purpose you have for my life. And then all of a sudden, he has a chariot coming up from behind. Now chariots, very unusual in that culture. Rich people rode in chariots. Chariots then were like personal private jets are today. Only, the, you know, the rich and famous. And so he's, he's this chariot and it comes up and it's moving about the same pace he is. And there's a dude, a rich dude, sitting in the chariot and he's reading from the Old Testament book of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah. And he's literally reading it from his own personal scroll of that. And so Philip's like, this dude looks different. He's not Jewish. So he's like, dude, do you understand what you're reading? And the guy's like, no, how can I, if there's no one to explain it to me? And I'm sure Philip went, I'm your huckleberry. (laughs) So he climbs up in the carriage, and he begins to explain to him that the words of Isaiah, Isaiah's not talking about himself as the prophet. He's talking about a Messiah, a rescuer, a redeemer who would come. And Philip says, dude, you're not going to believe this, but I know the Messiah personally. Actually hung out with him for about three and a half years. I'm an eyewitness to his crucifixion and his resurrection. And at some point, this guy in the carriage decides that he's going to surrender his life to Jesus. He's gonna let God write the rest of his life story. They pass a body of water on the road and the dude says to Philip, well, there's water, why can't I be baptized? Philip said, no reason not. They go down in the water, Philip baptizes this guy from Ethiopia, raises him up out of the water and immediately, supernaturally, God transports Philip to this uh, Greek city way off somewhere, and the guy's kind of there by himself in his carriage driving. and he's like, okay, well, that was cool. This must be real. He gets back in his carriage and goes home. Cool story, right? But here's the big story I want you to understand. Did you know that some of the oldest Christian communities in the world, do you know where they're located? Ethiopia. How did they get there? How did the story, the gospel message, get to Ethiopia, right? Because two people were willing to surrender to God's bigger story for their life. Not only is this a cool story, but here's the thing. As we begin to unpack it, we're going to see it's got some practical principles for us finding our place in God's story. So let's jump in. Three keys to finding my place in God's big story. One, just be open to it. Just be open to it. Finding my place in God's story starts with having an open mind. Not just open to that there is a God, but open to the idea that there is a God who continues to move and work in our world, in our history, and in our individual lives. So that's what I want to ask you to do. As we head into this journey, I want to ask you to come to it with an open mind. Maybe you're a seeker, you're kind of new to this, you're kind of like the Ethiopian eunuch, you don't really understand, you know, what, what, what's all in the Bible or this whole God thing. I'm asking you to just come with an open mind, to explore, to come with your questions, come with your doubts. Your questions and doubts are not barriers, to finding your place in God's story. They can actually help lead you to your place in God's story. Now for those of you who've been Christians for a long time, and you're like, I know where I fit in the story. I got it going on. I'm doing what God called me to do. I'm living out my faith. You know, I'm part of the kingdom work. I want you to ask you to just be open to the potential that God might be calling you to a new thing, a next thing in your journey with Him. Because in this encounter, We see examples of both of those. And it starts with Philip. Notice verse 26 and 27. It says, An angel of the Lord said to Philip, Get ready and go south to the road that leads down to Gaza from Jerusalem, the desert road. And notice, so Philip got ready and went. God said, Get ready and go. Philip got ready and went. But think about that from his perspective. Don't you think in Samaria with this exploding church and all this amazing God stuff happening, don't you think that this idea of going out in the middle of nowhere was probably, you know, why would I do that, Lord? Why would I? That doesn't make sense to me, God. See, I think one of the biggest barriers to finding our place in God's story is when we keep trying to write our own story. When we keep trying to make it about what we want, what we like, what we're comfortable with, what makes sense to us. And I think if we're honest, I think some of us, probably many of us who've been Christians for a long time, we find ourselves in a really comfortable place in our journey with God. Like, like maybe you're in a home group and it's a great group, you've been a part of it for a while, it's really gelling, and you're like, I know home groups are supposed to multiply so we can reach and connect with more people. And somebody ought to multiply, somebody's group ought to multiply, but not mine, right? Because it's good, God is moving, God is working, why would God want me to step out of that comfort zone? Or maybe it's where you're serving right now within the church. You're serving in a ministry, you've been doing it for a long time and you, you're really good at it and God's really moving and working. And don't get me wrong, I believe some of our most effective service within the church body and even in the community is, comes from longevity, where you've been doing it for a long time. That's a good thing, because if you've been doing it for a while, you kind of got a groove, you've really gotten good at it. But I just want to caution you, that sometimes being in the groove can turn into a rut. And maybe, like Philip, God might be calling you to be open to something different. We also see the uh, openness of this guy from Ethiopia. Notice verse 27 and 28. It says, he, talking about Philip, he met the treasurer of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority. Paul's right there. couple of things. One... This guy, not only was he rich and famous, had his own jet, but he had power and authority. He was the CFO of a country. Think about that. He was the CFO of an, the entire country of Ethiopia, right? And it says, the eunuch had gone to Jerusalem to worship. He's from Ethiopia. He went to Jerusalem to worship, and he was now returning. He's going back and he's seated in his carriage, and he's reading aloud from the book of the prophet Isaiah. He's a a man of great authority and power, but he's also a eunuch. If you don't know what a eunuch is, just think spay or neuter with your cat or dog. You with me? We got children in here. I don't have to get any more explicit than that, right? What's interesting is that it was very common in that culture for eunuchs, To be in high positions of authority and power within a palace, within a royal or ruling family. For a couple of reasons. Eunuchs were considered very safe, right? Not only safe to be around the king's wives and concubines, but they were politically safe. Because they could not have any heirs. There was almost no threat that they would try to overthrow the king or queen and establish their own throne because they had nobody to pass that throne on to. And so they often had positions of authority within palaces and government. So being a eunuch, whether some were born that way, some were actually made that way, but being a eunuch, it had advantages at work, but it had a lot of disadvantages outside of work, in life. The obvious one, yeah, but listen, it also made them religious outsiders. When it says this guy went to Jerusalem to worship, he would have had to have worshiped outside the temple. He could not go in. Because in that culture, anybody with a physical deformity was considered marred by sin and religiously unclean and were not allowed to go into church during the worship service. So when it says he worshipped in Jerusalem, he worshipped outside the temple in the court with uh, the lame, with the blind, with the other outsiders. So he was an outsider, but in spite of how he was treated by the people of God, he was still desiring to connect with God. But for him, connecting was not just about showing up at a church where he maybe wasn't wanted all the time. This was a personal journey for him. He's literally reading part of the Bible on his own time, while he's. Writing. In fact, the, the fact that he owned a copy of the scroll of Isaiah that he could read from is amazing, right? Because it's not like today where you can get a Bible anywhere, have your own copy of the Bible, Easy- peasy. There were very few copies of the Old Testament books of the Bible at this point in history. Maybe some of the larger synagogues in the city had one, the temple had one, but for him to personally own a copy of the scroll of Isaiah, the most popular of all the New Testament scrolls, meant he paid a fortune for it. Because they were so rare. My point is, this guy was willing Because of his desire, his openness to connect with God's story, he was willing to push past whatever barriers there were and pay whatever price there was. And I know many of you today, you feel like an outsider when it comes to church and God and the Bible. You feel like you you don't fit, right? Maybe because of something that you've done or something that's been done to you. Maybe it's because you didn't grow up in the church and you're like, I don't know the lingo. I don't know how the Bible works. I, I, don't, I don't understand all of that. If that's you, listen, th- I believe this is a great series. So you can see clearly that you have a place in God's story. No matter where you've been, what you've done, or what's been done to you. In fact, I would say this connecting with God's story, it's the only way your life is ever really going to make sense. It's the only way it's ever going to really work is if you're willing to connect with God's story and more importantly, if you are open to let God be the author of your story. Starts with just coming with an open mind, an open heart. Number two, got to be willing to give and receive help. Write that down. Give and receive help. Why? Because discovering our place in God's big story was never meant to be a solo quest. We need others. You know another thing I learned about putting a jigsaw puzzle together? Even when you have the box top picture, there are some pieces that have so little information on them as far as lines or colors or whatever that you can't figure out even if you've got the picture. But if you start connecting that one piece with two pieces and three pieces, and all of a sudden you got this section. Together you can see, oh, goes up in the left-hand corner. Oh, obviously this goes over in the middle. Same thing is true in our lives. As we connect with each other, it begins to help us understand more clearly where we belong. That's kind of what happens with these two guys. Notice verse 30 and 31. It says, Then Philip ran up to the chariot, and he heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading, Philip asked. How can I, said, unless someone explains it to me. So notice what he did. He invited Philip to come up and sit with him. As much as this guy was seeking to connect with God, as much as he desired it, he still needed help. Now remember, this guy by the world standards is way up here. Philip, by the world standards, way down here. This guy's riding in a carriage. Philip's walking a dusty road. This guy has power and authority and money and privilege. He's got it all based on what this world offers. Philip's just a guy with a knapsack and a stick walking down a desert road. And yet this guy was willing to set aside his pride And invite a stranger, a nobody from nowhere, into his life to help him discover his place in God's story. Are you? Are you willing to do that? Are you still looking at your life through the lens of this world? I got it. I can figure this out. I can pull myself up by my bootstraps. Are you confusing God's big story for your life with the American dream? of have it all, do it all, experience it all? Are you willing to set aside your pride and let somebody else help you? Listen, this connection not only helped this Ethiopian eunuch, it also probably helped Philip out, right? He leaves a bustling ministry. Now he's walking down a desert road by himself going, what am I doing here, Lord? Don't you imagine at some point when he's interacting with this leader from Ethiopia that the light bulb went off? He's like, oh, I get it. I get why I'm on this desert road. I get why I'm walking in this dark time. Now it makes more sense, God, that I'm not cut off from your big story and being a big part of it. I'm right where you want me to be. My point is simply this. Sometimes you're the eunuch. Sometimes you're Philip. Sometimes you're the one that needs help. And sometimes you're the one that God is going to use to give that help. And let me just tell you, in my faith journey, and I've been following Jesus for about 50 years, there have been so many times in my life when, like the eunuch, my life didn't make sense. The circumstances, what I was going through, I felt God distant or He didn't care, or if He did care, He was just mean to allow these things into my life. And yet, because I remained open to those connections with others, God brought different people at different places in my journey who were able to help me see and have faith when I had faith, had no faith of my own. I also have a lot of times in my life where God has brought people into my life where I had been through experiences that I could help them, that I could encourage them, that I could listen and pray with them. That's how this whole thing works. That's why the Apostle Paul writes this in Romans 1.12. Paul says to the church in Rome, when we get together, I want to encourage you in your faith. Well, that makes sense. He's the Apostle Paul, right? The writer of most of the New Testament. He's a great Christian. It makes sense that he would encourage us in our faith. But look at what he says. I also want to be encouraged by yours. See, the family of God is not people who got it all figured out and people who don't yet. Some days we're here, some days we're there. That's why we're always encouraging you, bordering on berating you, to get connected to a home group because it's the best way to give and receive help within the church family called Cedar Creek. Some of you, that means you need to chunk your pride. Some of you, that means you need to push through the barriers, the fears, or the things that church and church people have done to you, or some concern that you won't know enough. Because we need to be willing to give and receive help. And then finally, the third thing we got to be willing to do to find our place in God's story is be courageous and take the next step. Be courageous and take the next step. Knowing The big picture of God's story is great. Knowing where your puzzle piece goes in that story is even better. Because all of that information is useless if you don't do something about it. And that's really the heart of this series. It's not just about increasing your Bible knowledge, because that information won't bring any transformation until you act on it. I love how this encounter ends. At some point, the eunuch gives his life to Jesus, and notice what he does. Verse 38. And he, that's the eunuch, he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. Two guys who were open to God writing their story. God weaves their stories together. They connect And God reveals a next step, and both of them are willing to take the risk and act on it. Now, you might be thinking, look, I understand why this is a risk for the eunuch, right? To allow a stranger you just met on the road, a road, by the way, that is known for bandits and robbers, to let a stranger like that hold you under the water, that's a risky thing. But where's the risk for Philip?" right? He's a pastor. He's baptized thousands in Samaria. It's what he does. It's his job. What is risky for him about baptizing this newly converted Ethiopian union? Well, if you read earlier in the book of Acts, when the movement starts breaking out in Samaria and this church in Samaria starts to grow under Philip's leadership, the home church, the home office Sends two of the big dogs, Peter and John, to go check out Is this, you know, some accountability. What's going on there in Samaria? Is Philip really, is he towing the line? Or has he got some new gospel that's attractive? So they're, they're checking up on him. And they discover that one guy that Philip had baptized, because Philip was convinced this guy had given his life to Jesus, turned out to be a fraud. It's a guy by the name of Simon. And Simon didn't really want to follow Jesus. He just wanted the power of the Holy Spirit and to do the miraculous things he saw others with the Holy Spirit doing. He just wanted that to make money. And Philip was fooled by that. But Peter and John, they discovered it. So imagine how easy it would have been for Philip to say to this Ethiopian eunuch, I'm excited about your enthusiasm but let's wait a little bit on the baptism, right? Let's make sure we see a little fruit, right? Because he had been burned before. But Philip was willing to take the risk because he could see obviously that God was moving and working in all of this. The bottom line is this. Over these next ex, next eight weeks, you're going to get a lot of information, but the question isn't really about what new information you're going to get. The more important question is, what next step are you going to take? Maybe for some of you, that next step is to just keep coming back with an open mind to see where God might be moving and working in your current situation. For some of you, maybe that next step, like the Ethiopian eunuch, is baptism. You've given your life to Jesus, and now you want to go public with that. We're having baptism on Easter Sunday morning, coming up in eight weeks. Great opportunity to publicly profess Jesus is Lord and Savior. Maybe go on the app, signing up for that. Maybe that's your next step. I think for about half of you, your next step is to get connected with a home group, to go ahead and take that risk and take that step. I don't know what the next step is going to be for you in this journey. But my hope, my prayer, is all of us would find a way to allow our life story to be a little more connected with God's one big story, story of love and redemption. Let's pray together. Wow, Jesus, I thank you for uh, just so much reflection in this event from over 2,000 years ago, and yet it's so relevant. I thank you that that's the way your word is. It's not some ancient collection of stories of how people thought God was or what they thought God was doing. It is a handwritten, handcrafted by you story that reveals you, your love, and your perfect redemptive plan for every one of us. So help us, Lord. Help us take a next step today that will lead us closer to finding our place in your one big story. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.